Hello, everyone, and welcome to Queens of the Bees, your favorite queer movie and TV podcast in hours two. I am your gracious host, the ever-loving, ever-overly-sentimental Pisces TJ. It is now past Pisces season, I'm very sad to say, but I did have a very good birthday, thanks to my beloved Aaron and some friends. But we don't need to belabor that, although I'm willing to celebrate my birthday all throughout the month of March. But it's now Aries season, which brings me to my beloved co-host. And it's me, I suppose. I'm Aaron. That is correct. He is Aaron. He is an Aries. I guess that's all we have to say about that right now. He mm. has a birthday coming up, so wish him happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, wait, that was for me. It was for you, yes. <laughs> and we also have big news here at the Girly West household. We are now the proud owners of a cat again. <laughs> like good gays, we now have a pet. This is the first time we've had a pet in two years, so we're very happy about that. Um, his name is Tigranese, but we call him Tigger for short, also known as Tiggy Newton. Um, Aaron is looking at me with absolute <laughs> contempt. He's still a little shy, but at some point, hopefully, we'll be sharing some pictures of Tiggy on our social media channels. I'm sorry, I don't consent to having my child <laughs> be online that way. Too bad, it's 2023, so that's... That. Exactly, and people are protective of their young ones. Not really. <laughs> but we'll get to that later as we move through the show and we get to the, the broader pol- political cultural sphere of which we are all unfortunately a part but anyway, I believe this is a movie and TV podcast. Is that not correct? Like, I guess we should probably... I think so. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? <laughs> right. At some point, I suppose we should get actually into the movie for this week. So, in keeping with proud Queens of the Bees tradition, we are actually looking at a bit of a bee movie from mm-hmm. the early 2010s, which now feels like an age ago. Right. So <laughs> far into the past. So we're talking about the 2014 film Date and Switch, And some people might be thinking, why this movie? Well, a couple of reasons. One is that it has Nicholas Braun, very famous as Cousin Greg in Succession, Mm -hmm. which is now coming back for its fourth and final season. So admittedly, that was probably the major reason that I decided to choose it. But it also features a very memorable appearance by Adam DeMarco from White Lotus, the other big HBO series that we're all all the gays are in love with, mm-hmm. and his there was a meme of Jared going around Twitter. So we'll get to that when we get to his performance. But I just those are some of the reasons why I chose this movie, and I have to say that I rather enjoyed it. But <laughs> before we get into the meat and potatoes of the discussion, why don't you give us a, just a little summary of what this movie is about? Okay, so um, the movie is about a couple of kids. It's a pair of best friends. Uh, two kids, uh, two boys who've grown up together, been friends since they were little kids, uh, that are now in their senior year, you know, it's approaching prom time, and they've decided, or one has decided, really for the other one, that it's time for them to get laid in that great sort of teen movie tradition of having to have sex by prom night, or on prom night if not before uh, because that's the most important thing to a young teenage boy is getting laid before you you know finish high school before you sort of get to that last little rite of passage before you were done with school but of course this movie goes in a slightly different direction with that age-old story when pretty early into the movie one of the two friends comes out to his friends as I'm gay and after about 10 seconds of kind of struggling with the idea. (laughs) Uh, Michael uh, remembers that Maddie is his good friend and decides, yeah, he still wants to get him laid. He just needs to find a dude. (laughs) Correct. Right. So the rest of the movie is kind of the, as the two of them navigate the fraught territory of their friendship. So Nicholas Brown plays Michael, the 
sort of the straight guy, literally. Um, and then Hunter Cope plays Maddie. We also have Dakota Johnson, right before she's set to appear in Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie, as M, who is Maddie's girlfriend at the movie that when it begins, but then ends up giving out with Michael. It's a whole big thing. It's mm-hmm. a subplot that we'll talk about. Um, it also has a lot of other... I guess you could call like stars, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stars of certainly the early 2000s and still today. Megan Mullally plays uh, Maddie's mother, which it's always a pleasure to see mm-hmm. Megan Mullally. Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally's real life husband, plays Michael's father. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Cole is also in this. He always shows up, it seems like. We also have um, Aziz Ansari makes a brief appearance. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of an embarrassment of riches when it comes mm-hmm. to also. And there's also Sarah Hyland. I was just about to say, you can't skip Sarah Hyland. Sarah Hyland, <laughs> of course, fam- who was at the time in Modern Family. And then we also have Zach Kreger, which if anyone's sa- seen the sketch show, The Whitest Kids You Know, he's that's where he was most famous, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, still would have been relevant in 2014. Mm-hmm. So, and, and of course, Larry Wilmore, you can't forget him right. either, <laughs> you know, doing his wonderfully subdued humorous appearance <laughs> that he's known for. Right. So it is, I mean, for a sort of independent comedy from the early 2010s. It really is kind of an embarrassment of riches when it comes to its cast. And I can't believe I've never seen it or even really heard of it Me too, before yeah. I saw the meme of um, Adam DeMarco making the rounds on Twitter. I was like, what is this gay movie that I've never even heard of? But mm-hmm. here we are. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. And as with other sort of B-list comedies, I find them often very fascinating for a whole host of reasons in that they have just as much to them as sort of more prestigious productions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about like spoiler alert and bros and all that stuff. So I thought maybe we could talk at first about how this film feels like an earlier moment of queer filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Cause that was one of the things that stood out to me the most as I was watching it. Yeah. And when you say that, do you mean that it struck you as sort of like earlier queer filmmaking in that in like stylistically, like it sort of follows the style of movies that you remember from the past or because the movie itself sort of harkens back to a different time period? I think both. Um, obviously there's a lot of difference between 2014 and 2023. Mm-hmm. Which feels weird to me because, you know, I'm now 39. I was in my, you know, I was in my late 20s at that point. So it just, it feels, I don't know, it feels weird. Like, it's just amazing how much the world has changed since 2013. Mm -hmm. But it also feels like this movie feels like something that would have come out 10 years even before its own release date. Like, it feels like it could have come out more likely in 2004. Maybe not 1994, but certainly Mm -hmm. like the late 90s, early 2000s. It feels much more of that kind of comedy, say like Latter Days or, you know, some of the other, or Eating Out, some of the other sort of low budget indie comedies that we've talked about here on this pod. Um, In terms of just like its sort of subdued style, but also in terms of like its the kinds of questions that it raises, the kind of thematic material that it engages with. Because 2014 for all of its difference from 2023 was still a relatively and like queerness had already become much more accepted by mm-hmm. them than it had been at any point yeah. in U.S. culture. Yeah. And I was going to say, that's the one thing that makes the movie sort of feel like it's of the moment when it was made in the 2014s. Cause I agree with your assessment in pretty much every other way. There's one thing about the movie that to me feels very much like 2014, as opposed to an earlier time period. 
And that's the way the the characters respond to Maddie after he comes out mm. and the way that they talk to one another about how to deal with the fact that he's come out. It's very, let's all make sure that we're doing this in a way that works very well for the queer person who just came out. And that, to me, feels far more modern <laughs> than than even uh, t- 2004 or something like that. It feels much more like 2014. But that said, I think in every other way, I think the movie feels much more like 2004. Right. So maybe we can say some specific things. So first of all, there's the whole... I think key to this whole thing is Maddie's own relationship with his queerness. Now, I will be honest, that obviously, and I will be sort of more like clear about this. The film is very much... Michael's movie like it's about Michael and his experience like it's mm-hmm. very much wedded to his point of view but I do think that Maddie is an interesting queer character because he as he openly admits is not stereotypically queer in the sense of like looking queer or being like in shape I mean he's not out of shape but mm-hmm. he's not like the traditional beautiful queer character and I think that's the film's own acknowledgement of the very sort of rigid types body types that queer movies tend to utilize. Yeah, or at least, like I said, for movies from a few years back that I think used to do that, because again, that's one of the things that makes the movie, to me, feel older than it is, is it's sort of like implicit basis on these, you know, really, at this point, not outdated, but very old (laughs) sort of stereotypes about what gay men are like and what sort of attractive gay men Right. Or like the movie very much trades in those older ideas that by 2014 it was already sort of like in popular culture that they were different like types of game and like different body types and different interests and that of course you didn't have to be a Broadway loving glitter wearing person to be a gay man by 2014 people knew that already yes. <laughs> which is why it's so interesting to me that the movie trades in that type of thinking but it doesn't just play it straight. It says it basically it's more like the movie assumes that that's what people are going to be thinking and it tries to dispel that. And to me, it feels about 10 years too late in trying to dispel that myth. Right. So, you know, as I was reading and preparing for this podcast and like looking at the way that this movie came out, apparently the script was actually in process in 2009. Okay. 2009. Originally titled Gay Dude, which is funny Mm -hmm. and it's very fitting, it seems. So, in that sense, it makes sense because I'm not sure that they updated the script to reflect Mm -hmm. the 24, like the sea change that happened even between 2009 and 2014. Exactly. Like, there's a huge sea change in both popular culture but also American society more generally about the way that gay people kind of interact with the world. And I think the script still bears the signs of its early genesis. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what I think we're picking up on. And I mean, we referenced Ada DeMarco, and I think he is the character. His character name is not Albie, so I'm going to apologize if I say, (laughs) if I misstate that. Aaron will correct me. His character name is the equally gay name, Jared. Wow. Oh, come on. (laughs) Have you ever met a straight guy named Jared? Yes. But anyway, his name is Jared, and he is the gay guy that they encounter when they go to the small gay bar in Glen Ellen. Which, I mean, Glen Ellen can't be that small of a town if there's a gay bar. But anyway, so Jared is the sort of flamboyant twink Mm -hmm. dressed in a pink tank top who comes up to Michael and Maddie when they first get there and is sort of this bundle of energy he's like mm-hmm. me but ten thousand times like more exuberant yes and i mean among other things he says boo huskies <laughs> you know because he's from a neighboring school but not their school district and i find that you know that's the the character that maddie does not want to be like he immediately responds with like oh my god i can't be that mm-hmm. and that's that kind of like internalized gay panic that was so much of an earlier kind of filmmaking yeah. And I feel like one thing that I would have liked 
this movie to have done differently, given that it was made in 2014 and not earlier, is that if it done more to examine Maddie's response mm-hmm. to uh, Jared, because that did stick a nod. To be fair, I, I his behavior was always polite. <laughs> like he never he never does anything rude to this guy. Right. But it's very obvious that it's like he it's very obvious that Maddie rejects that way of being. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that there was a bit more exploration of why that character would feel the need to be so strongly opposed to that way of being in the world rather than just being like, well, that's not who I am, but, well, right. but whatever. Right. And I think that's a function of this movie being primarily about Michael and mm-hmm. Michael's like response to Maddie's coming out. Yeah. Like I, I mean, I don't like to criticize movies for what they're not, but I would have liked to, as you say, to have seen a little bit more from Maddie's point of view mm-hmm. to sort of help that land yeah. a little more effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because of the way the story plays out, the movie leans dangerously close to being like, gay men shouldn't be like Jared. And it's like, and, and that's always a risky move whenever you whenever you try to do the dispelling the stereotype thing. It's always a risky move mm-hmm. because it's easy to cross the line from saying, we're not all like this to people shouldn't be like that. And you always have to be very careful that you don't take that one half step mm-hmm. too far. And I think that this movie puts its toe on the line because it doesn't give Maddie enough time to develop. Right. And to sort of, again and to flesh out his own feelings about that. I think if the movie did that, it would work better, in my opinion. <laughs> right. I mean, the only thing that does help keep Jer- rescue Jared from being the sort of abjected stereotype is that there is a moment later on after Maddie and Michael have had sort of falling out as a result of Michael both outing Maddie to his parents and dating M. Mm-hmm. You know, Maddie's kind of like wrestling with the fact that Michael won't speak to him and then Jared speaks of his own friend who like abandoned him and then moved to Germany mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a rare I mean that moment is obviously lighthearted but I do think that he's not a figure of mockery there mm-hmm. he's a figure of sympathy yeah. like there's a sort of shared queer bonding between Greg who is Maddie's soon to be boyfriend which we'll talk about him in a moment Jared and Maddie together like it's mm-hmm. one of those rare moments where like we're seeing a sort of queer solidarity mm-hmm. which is kind of nice to see and uh, you know in an unexpected way yeah um but it's also revealing i think that first of all i mean let's face it some sometimes small town gay bars can be a bit dreary um but i it is interesting to me that then they subsequently go to a more high scale gay bar monsoon mm-hmm. where which of course is filled with gyrating scantily clad men as tends to be the case yeah, at gay bars at that kind of club yeah yeah exactly and they end up going to they end up doing a kind of ecstasy like drug it's not quite ex- it's just like a more enhanced form of ecstasy i forget what it's called but remember they do the drug when they go to monsoon the first time i can't remember what they took <laughs> yeah and then they go to this oh, what is it called the foam room where there's literally just foam but they're naked and it's a whole big thing yeah and it's like it's a foam party and i'm horrified by the fact that tj seemed so unfamiliar with the foam party as concept and i'm like have you been to a foam party tj no so i guess you, i guess you could ask right now <laughs> no 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 we, we 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 won't do that uh i won't do an are you even gay with that because there are all kinds of gay men who just aren't into the party scene it has nothing to do with that <laughs> i know but it would be a good it would be a good segue it would be a good uh, you know moment so utilize that attack if you if you were so inclined yes yes but i'm a gentleman so i'll pass i have however seen a loop wrestling match does that count 
Eh. Did you participate? No, of course I didn't. Well, then it doesn't count. <laughs> no, I was watching the scantily clad twinks participate when I was like in high school, not high school, college. Mm-hmm. I had a very sheltered gay upbringing, okay? I mean, yeah. I got the Broadway, I got the sucking dick and taking the, up the butt. Like, I got those part of the gay stuff. I, I mean, that's like literally everyone has done those things. <laughs> anyway. But it's also revealing to me that in the end, after, you know, all of the sort of drama in this movie, that it's to Monsoon in the foam room that Maddie and uh, uh, Michael end up going at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, that's their sort of moment. And then my, Maddie says, this is the best night of my life. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of nice. I thought that was a nice kind of embrace of the queer utopia of the gay bar. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that, that was a really interesting way to end this film. That it's the gay bar that ends up being the site of, you know, rede- uh, not redemption exactly, but... Um, of joy yeah. and celebration. Yeah. Like, that's, I thought that was a nice conclusion. But that's what gay bars have sort of always been. And not just for, obviously, the, the gay folks who go right. to them and the other queer folks who go to them. But gay bars have kind of always been a place where anyone could go to relax, have fun, and be themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about the gay bar, sort of in social history, right. is that it's been the place to go and be yourself whatever that means and so it's not to me it's not surprising or striking at all it's it, to me it's completely fitting that at the end you have this this set of four friends <laughs> you know you have the two gay guys who are becoming a couple and then you have the you know the boy and the girl who are becoming a couple <laughs> who are best friends to the other teenage boy all go together mm-hmm. so you have a straight girl a straight boy and two gay guys <laughs> all together having the time of their lives at the gay bar like that's sort of the stereotypical <laughs> sort of moment from, from a movie like this right is that the gay bar is the place for everyone right and i love that about it you know because mm-hmm. there's this new book that came out this is a, a very brief aside but it's called gay bars why we went out and it's sort of a, as you describe a social history mm-hmm. of the gay bar and you know in an age in which gay bars are a vanishing part of the landscape because of covid because of the mainstreaming of queer life and all that stuff like i think that these kinds of moments in these movies kind of reinforce for us why those sites were and even today could be and probably will be important particularly given the sort of rising tide of anti-queer sentiment that Mm -hmm. is kind of taking over the u.s as we speak yeah i think they'll also uh you know for equally depressing but not quite (laughs) as horrific reasons i think that those places are gonna we're gonna re we're gonna come to back to understanding the importance of these kinds of places just because of the epidemic of loneliness among especially among younger people who've Instead of seeing those kinds of spaces as basically the only place where you could go and meet folks, the tendency has been to sort of to try to meet in other ways. But when there's not a special place to go, it's actually a heck of a lot harder to meet people and, and make those connections. And so I think that especially post-COVID, you know, with all the other stuff, I think that younger people are starting to see much more value in actually spending time with other people right. in person rather than just always doing some sort of virtual interaction. Yep, I think that And that, because that's the case, I think places like gay bars will always have a role to play. Right, which, you know, that's if, if nothing else, this movie does kind of remind us of the importance of the gay bar as a social space, as mm-hmm. a utopian location where it is okay to just be exuberant and fun and, you know, to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I love that at moments like because jared also appears at the gay bar i'm not sure if he's in the final scene but he's in the first time yeah, they go to the i don't think party. so but the final scene is also super short so right. <laughs> it's like a two second cutaway it is yeah. and that's it right so i mean I, I also enjoy the way that this movie 
is a very generically profligate movie, shall we say, or promiscuous. I don't know why I said it like that. I don't know why I had to come up with the most convoluted way I could possibly have described I don't know either, folks. I don't know either. But the the listeners expected it. It's part of my brand is to be overwrought. I am the Moira Rose of gay podcasters. Like, that's that's my identity right there. You could have left off the of gay podcasters. I know, but I mean, yeah, I need to establish it as a podcast-specific thing. But anyway, don't get me too distracted or I'll forget my point. So it is generically hybridity. Like it does sort of traverse different registers of comedy. Obviously there's the gay comedy, which we've already talked about a little bit. There's also the stoner comedy because the ongoing joke is that uh, Michael cre- like b- bakes this elaborate brownie filled mm. with marijuana. Oh, yes. Like all of the marijuana. I don't know why I said marijuana like an old person. Mm-hmm. Filled you with did, you didn't say the reefer. <laughs> or, right, or pot or the dope. It's filled with weed. That's what I need to say, because that's, I think, still the common parlance. If that's not, forgive me, I am a boomer. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are. <laughs> in spirit, if not in actuality. Anyway, so he has this, this elaborate brownie that they're going to eat in celebration of getting laid before the prom. It's first decorated with boobs mm-hmm. and then he adds dicks yes because of course after maddie comes out right. <laughs> michael wants to be sensitive and is like well let's include other stuff let's make this is for maddie so let's have stuff you'll like <laughs> including dicks with veins which you know kudos to him uh, for very it. well designed dick veins on this as maddie points out <laughs> and th- so the on- that's the sort of ongoing joke is that you know that michael preserves this brownie through, yes. an, an, through an, an, an ambiguous amount of time like yes clearly at least some so homecoming usually or if not prom is usually what in uh, march or april mm-hmm. so presumably he's made it in like but it's brownies they're not supposed to last more than like a week well and like he said he's even keeping it in the freezer except he's constantly taking it out and doing things to it <laughs> he's fisted it at least twice <laughs> punched it he punched it <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> he spills beer on it, which he drinks a large amount of beer. Mm-hmm. And he, he spits some beer on it at some point. He, and then, as I think he points out, he also cries on it. Yes. So, <laughs> all of which is very funny. Like, I have to say, I, when I went into this movie, I didn't necessarily expect to laugh a lot. I thought it would just be one of those annoying bro com- like bro like comedies, which it is that. Mm-hmm. But it's also very and surprisingly well written yeah. and surprisingly funny. And I think a lot of that has to be laid at the feet of Nicholas Braun, who is extremely funny. Like his mm-hmm. he has nailed the sort of hapless and hopelessly confused yes. young man like that is his type i will you know he if he plays only that kind of role for the rest of his career <laughs> he could be a million like a millionaire like he it's basically as if greg was cousin greg was in this movie yes. like it's not there's not much daylight between these two characters mm-hmm. but he, you know there's something endearing about his floundering through yes. life like you don't ever dislike him even as he's doing stupid things like for yeah. example sleeping with his best friend's ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. or at least falling in love with her i don't think they actually sleep together. together exactly but of course then we'll come back to that but that's a whole weird dynamic going on there but also i there's something about him his demeanor just reminds me so much of my students it's mm-hmm. like and i don't know if it's just that i'm getting old or what but it's like i feel like he 
uh, Nicholas Braun has just nailed, like you said, that sort of young person who's just sort of trying to figure shit out because everything's so confusing. Right. Like, he's really got that now. And he's so hapless. Like, he is just so absolutely hapless. Like, he just barely can function as a human being. <laughs> like, he can't... Well, he refuses to sing because the other element of this plot there's a lot going on in this movie for being an hour and a half long right. is that they're also trying to like maddie and michael are both part of a garage band a okay. garage band that does instrumental tv theme songs only now i have to pause because i'm not sure our younger <laughs> listeners will know i don't know if garage bands are still a phenomenon or whether people still do that i mean garage band is a program that people use to edit music yeah but that might be one of those things that's a signifier detached from it signified mm. so not to get all english major on you all but Anyway, I just, it's basically like a bunch of young people who get together in their garage and do like shitty covers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) including a very brief metal version, a rock version of the Golden Girls theme song. Which is awesome. (laughs) Arguably my favorite part of the entire movie. And Maddie tries to get Michael to sing, but he's deeply shamed because there's this whole traumatic... Yeah, so we should go back. So the movie starts with this moment from when Maddie and Michael were kids, what, third grade or something like yeah. that, and they were doing this like school show uh, that turns into this big, huge, embarrassing moment for Michael um, after he's been singing his big lead song. <laughs> but then he ends up being embarrassed, ends up on stage in just his underwear. <laughs> and so Maddie, being his best friend, strips off his clothes too so michael won't be alone and then they just sort of run through the theater right which is funny and then of course maddie's dad says something i just wanted to go see a nice musical why did it have to turn gay or something to that effect Mm -hmm. which of course is very funny in itself so you know they're constantly trying to get michael to sing but he has trauma from that Mm -hmm. earlier embarrassment i won't do that yeah so that's fine um, and like I said, there's just so much about this film that I found genuinely humorous. Um, but it's also like, it's a surprisingly thoughtful film in the fact that it really does engage with the vexed question of the relationship between queerness and masculinity, but also the friendship, the unexpected and also very fruitful, if you'll pardon the pun, friendships that emerge between straight men and gay men. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of territory in there that the film really engages with. Exactly. And also something that related to that, that the movie, I think, brings up in a nice way without overburdening this issue, uh, but it treats it in a way that I think is important, is the idea of what happens when you have lifelong friends, you know, from childhood, and then one comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always that question of, you know, why didn't you tell me before? And that seems to be the biggest struggle that Michael has with this, is that accepting that his best friend's gay doesn't seem to be much of a problem for him at all it's like of course he's a straight boy he's just never really thought much about this kind of stuff so he's just a little confused Mm -hmm. but but there's never a moment where he's like i don't know if i can accept this it's it's just a given that he's gonna accept this right but he's just trying to figure out how to do that but there is in there that question that always comes up is the how long have you known about this? You tell me everything else. Why didn't you, mm-hmm. why didn't you tell me this? <laughs> right. And it's also really interesting because like, and you know, as we said earlier, that, that easy acceptance of his sexuality is very much like a, of a piece with the film setting in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like, I love the way that, you know, the blunt and very dude like way, a bro like way, I guess is the way that they talk about Maddie's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of refreshing. Not that we, you know, as we said earlier, there's nothing wrong with stereotypes, but I think that there's something almost very funny about that as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you have 
a certain kind of dude friend as a gay man. You're used to that kind of yeah, vernacular. Exactly. That's, that that's the basis of their friendship. <laughs> right. Which that's kind of nice. Like, I think it's nice sometimes to see those kinds of friendships between gay men and straight men that don't have to necessarily be full of angst and emotion. Like, cause the angst comes not from Maddie's sexuality per se. It comes from all the other things mm-hmm. like Michael developing feelings for M and mm-hmm. you know, all the other drama that always interferes with teenage friendships. Yeah, exactly. And of course, and the movie hints at this, that I think that maybe in an extended version of this, there might've maybe been a scene or two that developed this a little bit more, but there's also the ongoing issue that Michael has with just the idea that things are changing, which of right. course that's perfect for this kind of movie. They're 18. It's the end of their senior year. What's going to come next in life. And then you find out that your best friend is gay <laughs> Michael's he's desperately afraid of things changing he's like he can't he's not sure if he can handle more things changing yeah and where where there does seem to be conflict that's the heart of it yep. it's not about accepting the gay person or anything like that it's the can we please slow this down <laughs> I'm still a kid and I'm just having a hard time with dealing with everything that's going on yep no, and I like that. And I also like that, you know, in the end, Michael really does come through at the prom because, you know, some guy, because when he's up there on the stage, some some douchebag in the audience says gay. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Michael launches into the, you know, sort of climactic speech, of, yes. you know, and then sings the song that he was interrupted singing at the beginning of the film, which I have to admit, like you, that I wanted him to be singing the Golden Girls theme song because yes. it would have been appropriate <laughs> for him to sing Thank You for Being a Friend. But mm-hmm. I didn't write the screenplay, therefore I don't get to make but, these decisions. But, but they but. made the one choice that was even better, I think, than yes. having him bring back the rock version of <laughs> Thank You for Being a Friend they recall the song from third from the third grade show that caused uh, I almost called him Greg <laughs> it caused Michael's trauma that's the song that he does again yep yeah and I and I think that also the film doesn't like over stress Maddie's unhappy family life like obviously Gary Cole and Megan Mullally do the most they can with very slender parts Mm -hmm. and it's very clear that neither of them are particularly comfortable with the idea that Maddie would be queer his dad is overtly homophobic like that's there's no question about that Mm -hmm. Um, which means Gary Cole ever not play an asshole that's what I have to wonder (laughs) what are you talking about Kent from Veep is not an asshole Kent is definitely an asshole (laughs) I mean compared to the other characters he's not (laughs) children don't poll well man children don't vote He's just straightforward. Mm, a robot. But anyway, we don't need to digress. We'll, we'll start our own Veep podcast at yes. some future date. But also, like, even Megan Mullally, like, I appreciate her ability to do so much with so little. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's that scene when Maddie is trying on the tux for the prom, and the the salesperson who's, oh, I can't remember her name. She's from the Goldbergs. She's the main actress oh, yeah. um, who is hilarious as she always is. And she's always so, no matter what she's in, she's always very hypersexual. Like she's plays a similar character in, um, Wendy McCle- like, what is this? Wendy McClendon Covey. That's her name. She always plays that kind of role. And I appreciate that. But anyway, so Megan Mullally is clearly expressing some real ambivalence about the fact that Maddie, she knows that Maddie's gay, mm-hmm. but she doesn't want to admit it to herself. Mm-hmm. And I, I might have liked to have seen a little more elaboration on that mm-hmm. plot line. But given that this film is very much about Michael and Maddie, it's okay. Yeah. Um, but then I wonder, too, is it that she she knows and she just doesn't want to admit it to herself? Or is she waiting for him to say it? 
I don't know. I mean, I read it as the former. Because there are the other moments where it's when he is obviously trying to talk to her. And mm. she's like, well, you know, if there's something you want to say, doing the thing that moms in that situation often do, where they kind of know what the kid wants to say. And the kid just isn't quite saying it. Mm. That's how I read it. Is it more is not so much that she's got a problem with this that she's trying to figure out, but she's like, I need for you to actually say that this is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'll, I'll grant. I'll, maybe we, I'll grant that more generous reading of her character. And like I said, I would have liked to have seen more of that. But I also like that Nick Offerman gets to play a softer role than we usually see. Like mm-hmm. usually he's of Ron Swanson, like tough, masculine, but he can play surprisingly sensitive. Like he plays Michael's father, who is very accepting of his son. No matter what, like mm-hmm. when my, when Michael inadvertently brings up a Falcon video, like mm-hmm. while searching for gay stuff, which yes. first of all, I don't think that's an actual. Fa- I mean, I'm not sure. I think it's an actual Falcon video, but the dialogue is not. Oh yeah, Falcon. the dialogue's obviously fake. Yes, uh, <laughs> fake porn do- dialogue, like choke on that horse because it's I'm freaking gonna, hilarious. Like, if if you only watch this movie for one reason, it should be to hear the ridiculous porn dialogue. Which even I mean, admittedly. Falcon is truly t- execrable when it comes to bad porn dialogue. Like the right, they're the I've no, yeah, they're bad for porn dialogue. But even for that, even given that low standard, this is pretty just. But of course, Michael leaves it playing on in the background when his father comes in <laughs> and sits down and they have a conversation. <laughs> And then he re- he gets a DVD, presumably from Netflix, which, of course, that's also dates this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, I guess some people still do DVDs for Netflix, but not most people. Yeah. <laughs> not most people living in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's like, I have this new show, The L Word. Yes. Which, I'm like, why, if you're going to get sort of queer bonding with your son, assuming your son is queer... When you write Queer as Folk, not The L Word? Like, no, the L Word was just a better show. <laughs> so maybe that's it. Was it, though? Yeah, it was like, it was way more popular. It was like, like everybody loved The L Word. It's like, gay men love Queer as Folk. Everybody loves The L Word. I don't, I, mm, okay. Well, anyway, we don't need to get too far afield on that question. <laughs> if you if you disagree with that assessment, feel free to write us. <laughs> Anyway, so what I'm getting at is that Offerman gives a sort of sensitive portrayal that's quite nice to see, you know, it, it shows how skilled he is as a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. He can kind of excavate these different layers. Which brings us to arguably the more vexed question of Maddie's soon-to-be boyfriend, and I think becomes his boyfriend as the film goes on, Greg. Yeah. So when we were planning this podcast, it struck both of us that Greg is diegetically... And also extra diegetically, because the actor is older than the guy who plays Maddie. Significantly older than Maddie. Yeah, that's the thing now. Of course, the way that this is working, they're supposed to be high school kids, but there's major Dawson casting happening here. Right. None of these actors are even close to the, the age of the characters they're playing. They're like and that makes, a lot of, that makes a lot of things okay. Right. I mean, <laughs> admittedly, this is the sort of glee phenomenon. Like, mm-hmm. it, and not quite as egregious. Like, we don't have 30-year-old Corey Monty, thank God. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these actors are in their mid-20s, <laughs> and, and they and, look like they're in their And mid-20s. I called it Dawson casting for a reason, because that predates glee. <laughs> Although 90210 have the same problem. Right. I mean, it's just, I'm saying, because this is con- Roughly contemporaneous mm. with Glee. Yeah, but it's like but what I'm saying is that it's a much it's a long standing tradition right. to do this in television to have older people playing these parts so that it's not so uncomfortable mm-hmm. for audiences to see these young people in more compromising situations. You know, when we're looking at somebody that we know that looks to be like they're 24, right? It's not as creepy, 
right. as someone who actually looks like a teenager. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I mean, it helps that, you know, that, um, that Zach Krager, who's playing Greg, looks so baby-faced. Like, he doesn't look like he's in his late 20s or early 30s. Mm-hmm. Like, he looks like he's probably in his mid-20s. Yeah, because I was like, to me, I read him as, he looks like he's about 26 or something. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I would have guessed, which, mm-hmm. you know is less creepy than it would be otherwise. Yeah. But then, but that said, I think that I, I was of so many different minds watching that relationship happen. I think it's because of the different time periods I kept associating the movie with. Because the movie doesn't actually tell us, I don't think, right. when it's actually set. I think it's supposed to be contemporaneous for when it was made. Right. But I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> um, and so I was thinking about this. Is this supposed to be like 2013, 2014? Is it supposed to be like 10 years prior to that? Or is it supposed to be... <laughs> well, I know it's not supposed to be 10 years prior to that because of the widespread use of the internet and all that kind of right. stuff before that. So I know it's not 20 years prior to its making. But the thing that I kept wondering about was how are we supposed to feel about the age difference between Greg and Maddie? Uh, one, the movie never comes right out and gives Greg's age. So it's left ambiguous. But like I said, I read him as being about 26 or so. I mean, it's an eight year age difference, which is not huge, but it's pretty big when the, per- the younger person's only 18. Right. I mean, it's also just symptomatic of the very different attitudes about those kinds of relationships that were prevalent in the twenty four early twenty twenty early twenty tens than they are now. Yeah, exactly. Where it's much much more contested. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I feel like even even for you know nine years ago, I don't think I don't think I would have bat an eye in quite the way that I did watching this movie now. Right. You know, I'm thinking about if you know, there's still debate within scholarly and sort of queer viewer circles about call me by your name which is a very similar age difference mm-hmm. like in the diegesis oliver is like 24 elio is like 17 mm-hmm. presumably maddie is 18 since they're getting ready to graduate yeah they're about to finish high school. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know that quote-unquote power dynamic is as you say understated in the film and doesn't raise the issue yeah. but even then it's interesting that because it's like the way that you just phrased it is the thing that I think is sort of the interesting question about this is the power dynamic because they're strangers to one another. Right. So I wonder, because I, I agree, I feel like if anyone were to criticize their relationship, the the first word that's out of their mouth would be power dynamic. But it's not like he's Maddie's teacher or coach or even an adult in his life in any way, shape or form. They're literally strangers who met because of a car accident. Right. Like, they, their lives were not connected in any way. Right. And so, when we say things like power dynamics, I wonder what that would actually mean. Right. Because it's not like this person actually had any power in Maddie's life. Again, they literally were strangers. Right. Yeah, it's like, and I find Greg to be an interesting character just in and of himself. Because much like Maddie, he doesn't fit into the boxes that we normally associate with, like, gay identity. Like, he's mm-hmm. not a twink. He's not a party person. He does go to pro wrestling, tournaments mm-hmm. which is weird like i mean i find pro wrestling weird to begin with but, <laughs> but mexican pro wrestling those are those were luchadors not wrestlers <laughs> that is correct like he does make a very strong point about like emphasizing that but he's also just kind of like i think the film wants us to understand him as being like borderline crazy yeah <laughs> like and i think that you know given that Crager has already been in Whitey's Kids You Know, which is also very kind of ludic and, and zany. I think most people would have understood that intertextuality there. And I, I mean, I do find their relationship to be endearing. And it is nice that we actually get to see them kissing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to see that kind of non-stereotypical relationship yeah. um, emerge in a film like this. Mm-hmm. 
which all of that's nice again for me the only thing that weirds me out about it and it doesn't actually weird me out it actually i think it's an interesting cinematic choice is to have maddie and michael be 18 so legally adults right but still in high school as opposed to this being like their freshman year of college right because i i wonder if even that even if a change in venue (laughs) would make me feel differently about the relationship there Yes, and I will. I, I agree with you one hundred percent because I think a further weirdness is when they run into their teacher at the gay bar or the principal at the gay bar. Exactly, that's also weird. Like, and it feels weird. I mean, obviously, it feels weird to the students, but mm-hmm. like, I would have felt less skeeved out if they had been college students mm-hmm. and they saw like their old high school. Pre- I don't something like that would exactly. make it feel less weird and in EP EP cray. Like, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be quite so distressing if they had just given them like a college. Age. Yeah, but then that, of course, that since you're echoing my feelings there, makes me wonder why we feel that way. Mm. Like, what actual difference would that make in the lives of these people? Right. None. But for some reason, it seems like it ma- it would matter to us. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's a function of just the fact that we're both. Well, I'm almost forty, and you're over forty. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if that makes a difference. Yeah, but even then, it's like because I was thinking about that. But I'm like, but it shouldn't because as you know, forty somethings or near forty and forty somethings, we're talking about a couple months difference. Right. We're saying three months later, all of this would have been fine. But if we're saying three months down the road, we wouldn't care. Then why do we care here? I mean, not to jump ahead, but it might be because of the sort of like grooming rhetoric that is now so common and like I'm, I'm, I'm speculating that we're starting to internalize it yeah it could be yeah like that's part of what we're responding to is like not just that but also the kind of I don't want to overgeneralize about zoomers but like their sort of puritanical anti-sex attitudes mm-hmm. I think are maybe also affecting how we view this yeah and I don't know that I would say they've anti-sex attitude that say they're they're being maybe a bit more selective <laughs> in their behavioral choices than well, maybe we would have been at the same age. Well, I was approved when I was in high school and You're college. still approved. Excuse me. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. He's approved. Don't, don't be spreading foul <laughs> slanders like that to our listeners. I will not have my, my reputation impeached by you of all people. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. He is the queen of all sluts. Thank you. I am <laughs> Shiva, queen of the slut people. people Thank yes. you very much. Anyway, now we've got completely off the rails. (laughs) Um, I do think that this is a surprisingly thoughtful film that really does kind of engage with some really important questions about, you know, the nature of gay identity, the nature of like masculinity and particularly young men. Because what is refreshing is that Michael is able to express his feelings, like both with M, with whom, you know, they have a surprisingly emotionally mature relationship for mm-hmm. two people in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it helps that neither Nicholas Brown nor Dakota Johnson look like high schoolers. Like, they look like college graduates. Like, yes. <laughs> so their, the emotional richness of their relationship makes more sense, mm-hmm. visually speaking. But also it makes sense given given the conversations they've had and the relationship that, they both ha- that they've both had with Maddie. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me that they would be able to find the maturity. Right. to be able to do that because I feel like the movie's about Michael coming to that maturity right. and it helps that M already has that yep. as the 
And we can see that the fact that she's still friends with Maddie and still cares very much about his well-being, despite the fact that he broke up with her so that he could come out <laughs> after having kind of strung her along for quite right. some time. And then they slept she, together. Exactly. And then, of course, they end up having that moment where they hook up. Yet. But I love the fact that those moments happen for her because I can very much see that kind of thing happening with mm. folks that are this young. But they ultimately deal with it in a way that feels very mature. Right. And I was like, that made me very sort of hopeful for yeah. young folks because it's like, yeah, maybe they're making a few mistakes there along the way, but they're figuring out how to handle them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, one of the reviews I read for this film, you know, said that this, that it's surprisingly thoughtful and like sensitive. And it is like mm-hmm. for being a stoner sex comedy, it's surprisingly like gentle with its characters like mm-hmm. it's it's not a cynical film yeah it's very sincere and i appreciate that you know me i love a good bit of sincerity mm-hmm. i didn't cry at this movie miraculously but i did find myself very like pleasantly surprised by how kind it was and how generous it was mm-hmm. to its characters well maybe we can get you to cry during the podcast if we couldn't get you to cry during the movie uh i don't know i'm not feeling it i'm not feeling the tears i'm not feeling the clumps all right well i'll have to come up with something yeah think of something sad <laughs> <laughs> Well, do we have anything else about the movie that we want to talk about? Uh, no. How old was, uh, what's his name, Adam DeMarco? How Adam DeMarco? Oh, gosh. He was, let's see. Well, he was, this is 2014, and he was born in 1990. So he would have been 24. Okay, because I was about to say, he was so adorable in this. <laughs> and so now I don't feel bad saying that. He was incredibly adorable. And that's the last thing I do want to talk about. It's just the ubiquity of that meme. <laughs> You know, because the, the expression where he's like, you guys want to fuck? Like, and then his eyes get really wide and he's like nervous and like mm-hmm. sh- shifting from foot to foot. Like, do you, you or some, not? Or? Ecstasy, I'll get us ecstasy. <laughs> like that moment where he like is shrugging and like his eyes are really wide has become a true internet phenomenon. Like it is a meme phenomenon that we only rarely see. And I feel like that's his contribution to queer cinema. Like, right. A queer culture. Right. And I and I feel weird saying this as someone who, unlike TJ, when I was younger, I got, you know, I had a bit more of an adventurous life when I was younger. I feel like he absolutely nailed that club twink uh-huh. persona so well. It's like, one, his, his looks help. Yep. And the fact that, of course, he's still young, very twinkish, you know, uh, when this movie was made. But, you know, his body, the face, all of that helps. But everything about his performance, everything, every word out of his mouth delivered in that perfect style. Uh, You know, DeMarco really studied up on this role because it's spot on. Like I said, I feel like I've seen that character in clubs all over the place. Every time I've gone out, I've I've run into that person. Yep. (laughs) And I mean, uh, that's the thing about stereotypes is there's usually more than a grain of truth to them, Mm -hmm. particularly in the gay stereotypes. So you heard it here, folks. I mean, but I did find it to be a very charming and fun performance. Like, yes. And he's not just a figure of fun. There's actual, a little bit of depth to him. Mm-hmm. And he's not just a figure of mockery. Right. Which is nice. And he's generous. He was willing to just give them ecstasy. Right. Like, that's and that's he, nice. That is a nice thing to do for people. And when they said they didn't want to have sex, he had, was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And moved on. Like, that's good. Those mm-hmm. are good mm-hmm. Be more like Jared. Yes, offer people drugs. And then when they say, no, I don't want to have sex, respect that. Exactly. Those are the two life lessons Those are the that two, everyone needs to have. Those are the two elements of being gay. Yes. Well, that, the, the last thing I want to say is that, you know, when Maddie gets all butthurt about Michael and M hooking up, and he's like, well, you're my best friend. And, you know, the, I'm like, 
Dude, if you're going to be part of the gay scene, you're going to have to get used to that. Like, yeah. you're going to have to get used to, like, <laughs> to your friends hooking up with your exes and your exes hooking up with your current mm, boyfriend. Like, you're just going to have to get yeah. used to that. Like, that's just part of gay life. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know the straights do things differently, but... But, in, but do they? I don't know. I don't know much about the straights, so... I don't know. Do they have sex even? Is that a thing? Well, it's not natural if they do. (laughs) It is against God's law. I'd rather not think about it, actually. (laughs) Exactly. So on that note, let us move right along, and we'll be right back to do our favorite segment, Are You Even Gay? All right, ladies and gentlemen and NBs, we're going to do our favorite segment here at Queens the Bees. Are you even gay? Now, usually I get to harass Aaron because I live terminally online and therefore know about what's going on in the Twitterverse that he doesn't know. And admittedly, there are many things about Twitter that we could talk about, but I like to give Aaron the chance to stick it to me every now and again. Mm -hmm, He loves that. I do love that. So as we were preparing for this week's podcast, one of the contenders for this week's film was the famous M. Butterfly starring the divine Jeremy Irons mm-hmm. based on the play of the same name and we couldn't f- I couldn't find it in time for the pod so we'll do it at some later point point. and I happened to mention to Aaron that I had not seen it yet mm-hmm. ever and he was horrified yeah and so there's really no build up for this one folks and like the man hasn't seen M. Butterfly the iconic film of the of the legendary play that launched B.D. Wong into stardom Although he's not in the movie, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Yeah, so the play, of course, launched B.D. Wong into stardom. I believe he won a Tony uh, for it. I know he got nominated. I believe he won. Um, and, of course, the play had uh, John Lithgow uh, in, in the role that is played yes. by Jeremy Irons in the movie. And John Lone, of course, takes over the part that B.D. Wong played in the original play. It's a wonderful movie, wonderful, iconic. It's the kind of movie that as a cinema scholar, as a person who's interested in all things gay and just as a gay man, it's the kind of movie that you would expect, or a gay man of a certain age, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would expect to have seen. And so I'll just lay it out there, TJ. Once again, let's clarify it just to make sure. Have you, this is your chance to come clean. Have you seen this movie? I've already clarified that no, I have not seen it. Okay, so I just wanted to make sure, because before I ask you the dreaded question, I wanted to just clarify. I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. (laughs) The dreaded question. (laughs) So now time for that question. Are you even gay? Yes, I am even gay. That's because you like it when it's sticking to you. (laughs) (laughs) I also didn't realize this was directed by David Cronenberg, Mm -hmm. so that makes it even more extraordinary though. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, don't blame me. It wasn't streaming, so I would have watched it before this podcast so you couldn't harass me. But that doesn't... You should have seen it years ago. When did that movie come out? 1993. Mm-hmm. I was not even 10 years old then. Mm-hmm. And so you've still been not even 10 ever since then? I mean... <laughs> I guess it depends on how you think about this. I mean, I have the mentality of a 10-year-old sometimes, so... But we don't need to go into that, because that gets that gets messy very quickly, so we won't get into that. Yeah, I'm just like, and just, yeah, we're going to avoid all that. <laughs> and just bring it back to the horrific fact that you've never seen M. Butterfly. Well, do you have it on DVD? Uh, somewhere around here, I think I do, So actually. you keep claiming, but I have yet to see it. So there are I, a bunch of my DVDs that are missing. There should be a box of them somewhere. Well, until you have it, I don't think you have any right to harass me. Well, I've seen it, so... 
Anyway, yes, I am gay. I am sorry I have not seen M. Butterfly. We will do an episode on it at some future point because it does seem like a film that would make for a fascinating discussion. Mm-hmm. For a number of reasons. Not the least of which is that I'm a little in love with Jeremy Irons still. Because that man can still get it. <laughs> All I'm saying. All I'm saying. So, that being said, we can now move safely away from that now that we have reestablished for the umpteenth time that I am in fact gay. Have we, though? <sighs> Yes, yes, we have. That's why I, <laughs> I mean, clear. you're saying this to the audience, but should they believe you? You're like, methinks the lady doth protest too much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my Moira, my Moira Rose-esque elocution notwithstanding, let us move into the last segment, which I will keep relatively brief, but our sort of PSK, which we you know do f- fairly frequently. The news came across my desk today that Ron DeSantis, the most... Ex- extraordinarily awful governor I can possibly imagine is now looking to extend the don't say gay rule to all grades, which, you know, that was pretty much evident from the get go. Like that was clear. Mm -hmm. That was the end game. This is pretty much straight out of the Putin anti-gay propaganda law. Mm -hmm. If you live in Florida and you happen to be listening to this podcast, first of all, I'm sorry that you're in Florida, but we at Queens extend our solidarity to all educators who are contending with this, not to mention the queer young people who are going to be once again caught in the crosshairs of this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what really makes me sad, is that y- hordes of young people are not only going to be denied the opportunity to sort of be told about their identity and help to grapple with what that means, they're also being sent a very clear message that they're not okay. Yeah, And I really, like, for a group of people who are so supposedly concerned about the children, which of course is bullshit, but if we take them at their word, you'd think they would be a little more invested in making sure that their children get the kind of like support and emotional education they need to not kill themselves. Yeah, exactly. And my concerns are a little bit different. Um, I, I'm not too concerned about how this expansion of this law, if it were to take place, would sort of limit young people's ability to learn about themselves. Young people don't learn about themselves in school anyway. They learn about themselves on TikTok. And so um, I'm not too worried about that. I'm worried for all of the young people in Florida for a very different reason. Ron DeSantis is destroying education in Florida, and no college with half a brain should accept students graduating from Florida high schools at this point. If this comes through... Florida doesn't have school anymore. Right. That's not school. Like, what Florida has is not school anymore, which means that those kids can't go anywhere else to continue their education because they won't be qualified. Simply put. Right. And I say this as someone who works at a college. There are very good reasons to suspect the ability of students coming out of those schools to handle college-level work. When you when you're getting to the point where you're denying basic curricular stuff, you really are hamstringing your kids' futures. That's true. And DeSantis does not seem to give a damn about that. Right. I mean, and it is very much of a piece with the rights renewed attacks on queer people. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that I mean, I think we are, but I do think that people should really wise up and recognize that the fight is not over. Like mm-hmm. as we predicted when Obergefell was won, the rights the right is going to continue to push back and take it back as much ground as they can. Mm-hmm. Not only that, they're also going to try to take new ground. Yeah. Like they're not going to be happy until they push us all either into the closet or literally kill us. Like, yeah. That is their end game. And so we need to fight back with everything we have. So yeah. we here at Queens obviously are in stand in solidarity with all of our queer brethren, all parts of the alphabet. We stand with you. Yeah. And we need to, do, and, and we can do even more than that. It's like, of course, we stand with everybody, but that's literally the least we can do. That, that is because least. here's the thing. And the reason why these efforts don't, they don't 
shake me to my core is because they're not going to win. They simply don't have the numbers to actually win on these points. But it does require us to fight back. And that's something that, sadly, I can say about enough members of my generation of, of queer folks and some of the younger ones. We haven't had to fight right. in the same way that our elders had to fight. And so I don't... I'm not confident that we're up to the necessary level of fight that we need to give. Yes. Not that the level of fight that we have to give is so high. It's just that we're not used to having to fight. Right. And we, I, I agree with you 100%. Like your generation and mine, particularly, mm-hmm. like we are the, and the younger people are all beneficiaries mm-hmm. of the ones before us. Yeah. So now it's our turn to sort of go to the streets and like, Exactly. And it's something that I've had to remind young folks of, because over the years, when it comes to issues of justice for queer people, for people of color, specifically for black people, I've heard so much of the we're just so tired of fighting coming from young folks. And I'm just kind of like, y'all weren't the ones doing the fighting. If you're tired already, that's a problem. (laughs) because it wasn't you. It was your parents and, frankly, your grandparents doing the fighting that you're talking about doing. They're the ones who were doing that fighting. Yep. Now it's our turn. Yep, 100%. So get out there and fight. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't live in a don't-say-gay state. Right. We think we live in a very nice, solidly blue state. Which is why we can use our voice to help folks. Exactly. Again, we can do more than stand in solidarity. We can actually take actions. Yep, 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 yep. Which we will do. All right, well, this has been a very good episode of Queens of the Bees, as always. I fo- uh, sometimes I find that, like, the sort of B-list comedies and other B-list dramas that we talk about yield even more fruitful discussions than the more prestige ones that we do, mm-hmm. which is, you know, part of the reason we formed this podcast to start with. So anyway, thank you all very much for listening to us. We always appreciate those who continue to sign in and give us a listen wherever you listen to your podcast. As always, we would like to ask that you rate or review us wherever you listen to us, um, Spotify, Apple, and so forth. We appreciate every little bit of contribution that you get we'll take any kind of feedback positive negative whatever it's that's growth for me that is growth mm-hmm. and now as i as i approach 40 i feel like i could be a little more receptive to constructive feedback that's a complete load of bullshit but i will <laughs> i will fake it till i make it i mean you, you looked convincing when you said it exactly that's half the battle and also if you would like to follow us on social media you can follow me tj uh, on twitter at tj west in the number three you can also follow the me on Instagram at Thomas West in the number three. You can also follow me on Letterboxd at TJ West in the number three. <laughs> and lastly, you can follow our Queens of the Bees Instagram at Queens of the Bees. It's all one word. I'm not even going to ask Aaron because he's not on social media because he's a boomer or a philistine. I don't know. He's something. Yes. I am all of the things. He is something. Yes. So... Also, the last little bit of recommendation, if you would check out my Substack newsletter, Omnivorous, I do frequently write about gay stuff over there, so please do check that out, because sometimes it's an addendum or it's an elaboration on something we talked about here on the pod, and if you're not sick of me by then, feel free to chime in over there. So, I think that's all we have for this week. So, for Queens of the Bees, I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And we will see you next week. (laughs) 